0: I'd invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4 as the boys and girls are dismissed to their junior church class. Imagine with me that you are at a place of international tourism. Perhaps like the Statue of Liberty in New York City. Or perhaps, perhaps like the Taj Mahal in Agra, India. Or perhaps Buckingham Palace in London, England. Or maybe even our own Mall of America here in the Twin Cities. And there you're at a place of international tourism. People from all over the world have gathered to that place. And imagine with me that you are eavesdropping on others' conversations. And by listening to their language, you learn something about who they are. Imagine you hear a woman who says, bonjour. We might rightly discern that she is French. Perhaps you hear a gentleman who says, shalom. We might understand him to be Israeli or or Jewish, Hebrew, maybe from Israel. How about this one? How about hola? That would be Spanish. Very good. How about this? Good day, mates. Australian. How about you betcha, don't you know? A Minnesotan, all right, this, here's one you won't get. How about Jumbo, Jumbo. Anybody know Jumbo? It's Swahili, it means hello. And whether it is a language, a foreign language, or whether it's a, an accent, you all come back now, you hear, right? That's just the way that's said, a, a, a Southerner. Perhaps it's a verbal expression. We can learn something about someone by listening to their language, I've written there at the top of your notes: since we are risen with Christ, that's Colossians 3 verse 1, since we have put on the new man, chapter 3 verse 10, we should speak a different language. And by that, I don't mean the ecstatic gibberish or, or, or speech of some unknown heavenly tongue, but rather our communication should manifest the reality of our new life in Christ. So that if someone were eavesdropping listening to you in your language, they would be able to discern that one must be from another world. That one must be a, a Christian. So from Colossians 4, verses two to six, I prepared a message titled The Language of the New Man. Let's pause briefly for prayer and, and then we'll look at the scripture text together. God in heaven, we thank you so much that you are everywhere. But Lord, we thank you also that you are near. You are transcendent, yet you are imminent, near to us. And because of Jesus Christ and his high priestly work, we can approach you boldly in prayer. I pray, God, that you would convict us from the scripture this morning, that your Holy Spirit would teach us that we might be men and women of God who speak a different language because of our death and our resurrection with Christ. We commit our study to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Colossians chapter four, beginning in verse number two, as was read for us just a moment ago, Colossians four, verse number two, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us. The language of the new man begins with, number one, the language of prayer. Prayer is the most important language that the new man in Christ can learn. It's the most important speech that the Christian can utter. In fact, like the disciples, we ought to plead, Lord, teach us to pray. And here in these verses, Paul gives us a lesson in the language of prayer. Our prayer must first be faithful, prayer. Faithful prayer. If you're looking at the scripture, verse number two, the word translated continue earnestly in verse two of my New King James, it may be translated be devoted to or devote yourself to in your English Bible. It means to be courageously persistent. It means to hold fast and not let go. It was the same word that was used of the disciples early in the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, the Bible says that they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 6, the apostles made it a priority to give themselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. We are called to pray at all times, Ephesians 6. We are to pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5. Romans chapter 12, verse number 12, says to be faithful in prayer. And this morning I would ask you, how fluent are you in the language of prayer? I would ask you, how frequent are you in the language of prayer? I would ask you, how faithful are you in the labor persisting in prayer? Now, regarding the importance of this language, the language of prayer. Jesus taught two, two different parables. Now a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You're familiar with that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, just briefly. Luke chapter 18, Jesus taught a parable on, on prayer. In Luke 18, verse number one, the Bible says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And, and the story was this. In Luke 18, there was a certain judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. Verse number two, there was a certain widow who kept asking the judge for justice in her case against her adversary. In verse number three, but the judge was unwilling at first but after a while, the judge says to himself, I don't fear God, I don't respect men, but, but this widow keeps persisting, verses 4 and 5. And so I will grant her her legal request that she is making in verses 4 and 5. They're beginning in verse 6, Luke 18 verse 6. Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. There's another second parable found just a few chapters earlier. Turn back to Luke 11. Luke 11 after giving his disciples a model prayer in Luke 11 verses 1 through 4. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said this, beginning in verse number five, Luke 11, verse five. He he says, suppose you at midnight you go to your friend's door and ask for bread, and your friend calls to the door, not now. It's late. My door is shut. My children are in bed. Go away. And even though he is your friend, he won't come to the door and give you bread. However, eventually, if you persist by knocking and knocking and knocking, he will rise and meet your need. Look at verse number nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread... Any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Those are rhetorical questions. Of course not. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And folks, I, I hope you understand the implications of these two parables in Luke 18 and Luke 11. In devoted, persistent, earnest, faithful prayer, God will answer and meet our needs. But you say, but, but pastor, in all reality, right? I mean, we, we understand what the, the Bible teaches, but, but the reality is that we have prayed for our loved ones for years, and their health is still broken. We prayed for our loved ones for years and their hearts are still hard. I'm not sure that God is listening. I'm not sure that God hears. I'm not sure that God will answer. Well, then I would say this to you, Colossians 4, verse number two, continue earnestly in prayer. You say, but pastor, I I believe that God is sovereign and God has already predetermined what will be. He's ordained what will happen. What's the point? My prayer is of no consequence. I would offer you Colossians 4, verse number two, continue earnestly in prayer. We are called to be faithful in the language of prayer. Prayer as illustrated in the parables in Luke 18 and in Luke 11 back to Colossians chapter 4 verse number 2 continue earnestly in prayer be persistent be faithful in prayer but then Paul says something else being vigilant in it being vigilant true prayer is a alert prayer it's it's watchful prayer let her be and first, of course, I, I think Paul could speak of physical alertness or watchfulness. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' disciples were found sleeping. And Jesus asked them, could you not even watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. It's the same word that's used there in the Gospel of Matthew as it is here in Colossians 4 two. You, you can't pray when you're physically sleeping. You have to be vigilant. You have to be alert. You have to be watchful. And for that reason, folks, there is no virtue at getting up at five in the morning to pray (laughs) if you're not awake, right? Or staying up late into the, the wee hours of the morning if you're not awake. We must be awake, alert, and watchful, but beyond the physical alertness, I think Paul's thought includes a spiritual vigilance or watchfulness. And we ought to look for the things for which we ought to pray. We ought to sense the oppression of the, the wicked one in our lives and pray regarding that. We ought to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, be alert and watchful and pray regarding those things. We need to be spiritually alert and conscious and watchful. So we're faithful, persistent, we're, we're alert, we're watchful. Then there's a third component of our language of prayer and that's, that's thanksgiving in verse number two with thanksgiving. I'm sorry, there at the end of verse number two, thankful prayer. Of course we know Philippians 4 verse 6, you might jot that in the margin, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And we need to give voice to the praise and to, to the thanks that we have for who God is and what he has done. And certainly our prayer includes petitions but it must also include praise and and thanksgiving. And really, this is the second time in this letter that Paul has addressed thanksgiving. If you look across the page to chapter two, verse number seven, chapter two, verse seven, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So there's thankful prayer. And then finally, from Colossians four, now verse three, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak. And I'm going to call this letter D, purposeful prayer. Purposeful prayer. While you're praying, pray that God would. That's a clear purpose statement in verse number three. And so often our prayer is generic or it's general. God help the missionaries or be with the sick or give us a good day. What does that mean? God help us to have a good day. But rather be purposeful, Paul was looking for a door of opportunity to speak the word of God, the mystery of Christ. And that really was a primary purpose of of much of Paul's prayer throughout much of the, the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16, he reported a great and effective door has been opened for me. In 2 Corinthians 2 he reported when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. And the reason that we pray purposefully is because God works specifically to answer prayer and to accomplish his purposes through us. And so in the language of prayer, don't be generic or general, but be specific and, and purposeful. And that's how Paul asked the Colossians to, pl- to pray, which really leads in to this next point of the language of the, of the new man. And that's the language of proclamation. Proclamation. Paul turns from prayer, which is speech directed to God, to proclamation, which is speech directed to to others, the, the gospel that's directed to people. Look at verse number three. Meanwhile, while praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Paul is imprisoned here. This is a prison epistle, verse number four, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And he calls it the the mystery of Christ there in verse number three. Now, in the previous weeks, as we've worked through Colossians, we've, we've talked about the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you. Again, look across the page back to chapter one. Maybe it's a page away. Chapter one, verse 26. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations in the past, but has now been revealed to his saints, to, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look to chapter 2, verse number 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of of Christ, and the language of the new man ought to include proclamation of the mystery, which is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ in you. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he he was in prison, I mentioned that at the end of verse number three, he's in chains, but he didn't ask for the prison doors to be opened. He asked for the gospel doors or the ministry doors to be opened so that he could speak or proclaim The mystery, the gospel. And how did he do? Well, sure enough, even while in prison, Paul came in contact with Felix, that's Acts 24. Herod Agrippa, Acts 26. Roman soldiers, Philippians 1. Members of Caesar's household, Philippians 4. Members of of Rome's Jewish community, Acts 28. You read the book of Acts, you read the New Testament, Paul had opportunity, open doors, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the good news of of Jesus Christ. And so then, prefaced with prayer, this is the language of the new man. With prayer, we ask that God would give us opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Let me me give you some examples of of some opportunities that you might have. You're on a flight, and you know that you will be crowded in a seat between two people who don't want to talk to you, right? In fact, you don't want to talk to them, and so everyone puts their headphones on. However, there is an opportunity for you to speak of the gospel as you're going to that very same destination. Here's another one. You never see your neighbor because when he's coming, you're going. When you're coming, he's going. And of course, in the wintertime or during the years of COVID, you never interact with anybody. But pray for an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Here's another one. You're in the barber chair. And this happens to me every month at Great Clips. Oh, so what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? And there's the conversation right there. And you can talk about weather or politics or the game, but you could also proclaim the gospel. I was talking with a church member just this weekend, and they were reporting how that they were at an all-day event with assigned seating. And consequently, this, this church member got to know the guy next to him. And the gentleman from our church explained to to this new, new friend how that he was different since becoming a Christian. And the man said, I've always been exposed to religious people, but I've never known anybody who claimed that their religion made a difference in their life. Can you believe that? And so an opportunity at an event with assigned seating and and, and you're there for the day and they established a friendship and this gentleman reported to me uh, this weekend that that they're hoping to connect and get together again. And so the language of the new man is prayer, faithful prayer to God. It's proclamation to to the lost. And here the language of of the proclamation of that mystery, it, it actually demands speaking, people. And I'm familiar with the notion of lifestyle evangelism, right? That we just, we just act like Jesus or look like Jesus and, and all the world will convert to Jesus. We're, we're to be salt and light and, and that's all good and well but at some point you have to say something. You have to articulate the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again the third day. It's time to speak up and speak out when the door is open to proclaim. You say, okay, but pastor, I'm not like you yeah in fact you are like me right we're all like one another and we're we're nervous and we're, we're fearful we don't know what to say in fact we are like the apostle paul he didn't always know what to say look at verse number 4 again verse number 4 that i may make it manifest as i ought to speak Paul wasn't entirely sure what he should say in every opportunity. And so you, you, you get nervous when, when speaking, proclaiming. And, and I understand that because you don't know this, but right now, I'm scared to death. I'm standing in front of hundreds of people and I have to speak and I might stumble and what, what if I stammer and, and it, it's, a, it's a nervous thing and my, my palms are sweating and my knees are shaking and, and I have stage frights say, really? And, and here, here's my, my policy, is you fake it until you make it, right? <laughs> the Apostle Paul prayed for me that I might know wh- how I ought to speak. There I, I remember probably the most, the most nervous occasion I ever had in speaking was, and you've heard this story, it's just a great story, but I, I won't tell you the whole story, but it was on the rim of the Grand Canyon. You remember that story? when I was proposing to my wife, and I had a great romantic speech prepared, and I just, it just like, I lost it. And I didn't know what to say, and so I, I knew I had to be romantic, and sensational, and, and, and all that, and Kim, wouldn't it be great if we had wings like eagles, and we could soar over the canyon, and she's looking at me like I've completely lost my mind, right? <laughs> And I, I didn't know what to say, right? And I tried, and, and finally I pulled out the ring and proposed to her, and under threat of pushing her off the edge, she said yes, and we've lived happily ever after. But, but you get nervous. What, what, what are we gonna say in that situation? Well, let me tell you what Paul's practice was. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, the Bible says he preached the gospel in this way, by solemnly testifying of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that solemnly testifying literally just means to give a testimony, tell your story, share your personal salvation experience, how the Lord saved you. And Paul wanted people to pray for him so that he would know how he ought to speak, the language of the proclamation of the gospel, and often it's just a personal testimony. And folks, I submit to you that when bathed in prayer, God will help you to be fluent in the language of the new man, the language of your proclamation. Because remember, you are only the witness. The Holy Spirit is the sole winner. Look at verse number five. Colossians 4, verse number five, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the the time. I'm going to call this number three the language of practice. The language of practice, and I've, I've titled this The Language of Practice because our walk does sometimes speak louder than our talk, and what we are gives credibility to what we say. So remember, we are risen with Christ. We are the new man. We have changed the garments of sin for the garments of righteousness, and our lives ought to be a walking testimony to those who are on the outside, to unbelievers. We are literally a sermon in shoes, I've copied a a poem, a song for you there in the back of your notes. While passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view, be clean and pure without within, let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes, they're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies, do others see Jesus in you? What joy twill be at set of sun and mansions beyond the blue to find some souls that you have won. Let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful. Be brave and true. Lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. So what does it mean to, to walk wisely toward those who are without? It means that we need to be careful with what we do, to not destroy one's impression Of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It means that we ought to have a good work ethic and pay our bills and keep our promises and be kind to our neighbor. We ought to walk honestly toward them that are without. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 12. 1 Timothy 3 says that Christian leaders ought to have a good report to those that are without on the outside. And I'm not suggesting a hypocritical performance. A ph- Pharisaism, but rather it's a language that comes from within, it's a sincere representation of the reality of our new man so that when the words do flow off of our tongue and we say, "Oh, I slipped. Well, out of the abundance of the heart that mouth speaks and may it not be inconsistent with our walk our walk and our talk. Verse number six, let your speech, here's the language again, always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And this is going to be number four, the language of perfection. The language of perfection. And the reason I've titled this the language of perfection, you say, I I don't see it there in verse number six, I've given you James 3, verse number 2 there in your notes. James 3, 2 says that if we bridle our tongues, we are a perfect man. And in the scripture, the, the, the perfect doesn't mean without flaw or defect. It means complete and mature. And Christian maturity or this perfection will give us grace in our hearts and grace in our lips. When Bible scholar says to speak with grace means to say what is spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, purposeful, complimentary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. It reminds me of Ephesians four verse twenty nine. You could put that in your margin as well. Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the necessary edification that it may minister grace to the hearers. Here in Colossians 4, verse 6, Paul cites salt. You see it there in verse 6. And, of course, in that day, salt was used as a preservative as well as a, a seasoner. But salt was so important that people would even be paid in salt. And salt was added to sacrifices. And you may not know that, Leviticus chapter 2. Perhaps Paul is suggesting that our language or our speech is a sacrifice offered up to God. Just as our words of praise are a spiritual sacrifice of of offering up to God according to Hebrews 13 verse 15. And, And like the Old Testament sacrifice, maybe we are to salt our language so that it can be the perfect, acceptable sacrifice to God. Folks, the teaching of the scripture is, is very plain this morning. It's very practical this morning. It's regarding the language of the new man. And you can draw draw some conclusions about people by the way that they speak, perhaps their accent, perhaps their dialects, perhaps their vocabulary, perhaps their level of education. There's so much we can learn about someone by what they they say. And the same is true for the Christian. There ought to be something about our language that identifies us as in Christ. And I would exhort you this morning to speak the language of the new man. And may we with the, the psalmist pray, let the words of my mouth that begin as the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that you would put a governor on our mouths. May that control mechanism be none other than the spirit of God who is dwelling within us. And God, as we evidence the risen life in Christ, as we walk in the spirit, may our speech, may our language be different and other than the world. If people eavesdrop on our conversation, even this morning in the the church foyer, in the parking lot, over lunch, may they perceive that there is something different about us, that we're not from around here, but that we have been transformed and changed in the likeness of, of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would be honored and pleased with us in this, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.